Since the fall of humanity, death has become a natural part of life. In some situations, we have come to accept this. But how are we to respond in situations where we hear of those who were murdered? Since our world is filled with brokenness, these things happen often, and in some cases, one takes the life of another. Fortunately, we have a caring God who has given commands on how we are to live. In this episode of Groundwork, we look specifically at the Sixth Commandment and see what we can learn about how God wants us to live. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are in part four of the eight-part series on the Ten Commandments. And so far, we've looked at the reverence for God in the first three commandments, remembering the Sabbath in the fourth, and honoring our father and mother in the fifth. And today, we're going to look at the sixth commandment. It seems straightforward to me, but... You know, in some cases, people can, it can be difficult for them to understand what circumstances are and how things should go. So we want to break it down today. Right. As we've been saying throughout the series, Daryl, important to remember that God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel after they had been saved from slavery in Egypt. So this wasn't uh, keeping the commandments, wasn't a way to get saved. It's how you live after you're saved, which is right. the same thing in the New Testament, right? We uh, Jesus died for us. We're saved by grace alone. But then we return to the law as a grateful way to live as God's people. And the uh, Sixth Commandment, it's very simple. There's no adornment or embellishment. You shall not murder. Period. That's it. That's That's the whole commandment. Probably, Daryl, if we were to look at law codes and rules and regulations uh, from many nations in history, I'm guessing that laws against murder are probably pretty close to universal across cultures. So it's no surprise that this one is in the Ten Commandments as well. Life taking another life is is always going to be a violation in whatever culture you're going to. Um, murdering people, killing people, and taking lives. It's never going to be okay in any culture. And I think that for us here today, it might be helpful for us to have a working definition on what murder is so that we kind of have a common ground. And, and And I define murder as this, one who chooses to end the life of an image bearer, and that's caused by a sinful motive or attitude. And so... I think that it also is important that we make a distinction between murder and killing because sometimes they're used interchangeably and that can be really confusing as well. So why don't we explain a little bit the difference between the two by using scripture? I mean, we could be reminded of a well-known passage, Ecclesiastes 3, that there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. Interestingly, of course, that well-known passage was picked up by the uh, rock and roll group in the 60s, (laughs) The Birds, and their song, Turn, Turn, Turn. Of course, they actually um, turned that into an Um, anti-Vietnam. You know, I swear it's not too late. Now is the time to heal, they were saying. And yet Ecclesiastes does say that there there is a time to kill, and killing is perhaps—the killing of another human being certainly is never— a wonderful thing. It's never something God wanted to happen, but in our fallen world, sometimes it does in ways that don't qualify as murder. Now, practically speaking about that, Scott, it's like, okay, so let's say I'm drafted into the military. 
you know, we're in a war. You know, it's a time to kill because, I mean, we're out there fighting. We're trying to fight for our country so that we'd be safe. Or if someone breaks in your home and, uh, you you know, self-defense, is it a time to kill because you're trying to protect your family? The jury that has the decision to make and whether they decide this person who's committed a crime, is they're going to have a death sentence or they're not going to have a death sentence? In Michigan, we don't have it. But in other places around the country, we do have a death penalty. They have to decide. Life and death is in their hands. And there is a myriad of other grounds, but there's always a reason. But murder, on the other hand, murder is sinister because it has a motive behind it that is not very healthy. There always is a sinful motive behind murder. And often it is fueled by anger. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the program. And very, very often what happens in murder, and you kind of alluded to this a few minutes ago, Daryl, what can sometimes happen is that in our anger, in our rage, in our desire for retribution and revenge, what we get blinded to is the image of God right. in another person, right? Uh, it's interesting, even in war, and wars are tragic, but you know, you think about a time like World War II, you know, when Nazis had to be stopped, Jews were being exterminated. This was an evil regime in Germany. It had to happen. But in, even in war, when soldiers need to kill other soldiers, there's this curious thing that I've read about several different times that you get propaganda. Oh, yeah. And what the propaganda does uh, is it, it dehumanizes the enemy. Objectifies. So, yep. Yeah. So, it, you know, in Germany, you know, they said all Jews were rats. Um, and in this country, when we got into it with Japan, they would have posters of these gross caricatures of Asian-looking yeah. people with huge teeth and menacing so that they didn't even look human. It's like you have to almost dehumanize your enemy, even in war, in order to justify killing them. Well, that happens in murder, too. You suddenly don't see this person's a sister or a brother or, or whatever. They're just a problem that you need to eliminate. And yeah, again, we get blinded to the image of God in that person and how precious each human life is. And it's interesting that you bring up this point about objectifying. I've seen it in racial situations where people of color have been objectified and caricatured and these old stereotypes have been brought in to make you know other people fear, make other people feel that it's wrong. And in a situation with murder, you know it's a heart issue. Um, and I don't want to get too much ahead of this 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 program, but I think that we need to understand that there's something going on underneath that we need to address. And the retaliation piece and the vengeance piece, even though the Lord has said the vengeance is his, we sometimes want to take those things into our own hands. And that leads to major problems. Maybe once in a great while, somebody gets into a, a spur of the moment fight. It just comes out of nowhere, and somebody ends up killing somebody else. But yeah, you're right. A lot. I mean, they, you know, in in courts of law, even you hear about malice aforethought. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this was planned. We can talk about that. Yeah, this was deliberate. This was avoidable. Uh, right? You could have turned left instead of right. So those are the things that that happen, and that's I think in in our making a distinction between murder and and killing. You know like killing a, a, a crook in your house who's got a gun is threatening your, your family or something. I think that's really important. And in just a minute, we're going to turn to the scriptures and to one of the very first stories the whole Bible ever tells. And it is a warning story about murder, but also the things that lead to murder. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. 
If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And we're talking today in this uh, middle program, the fourth program of eight on the Ten Commandments here on Groundwork, the Sixth Commandment. Simply put, you shall not murder. We just, Daryl, we're talking about sort of make, you know distinctions between killing and, and murder. One of the things we said that sometimes is common to both, though, is objectifying, dehumanizing, blinding yourself to the image of God in the other person. But in the Bible, we don't get very far in the Bible before we get to a really, really tragic story. Yeah, so chapter three is the fall of humanity. And then right in chapter four, we see the first murder recorded in scripture. And it's in chapter four where we'll start reading. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth the man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. In this passage, it's just so tragic how this whole thing unfolded. Um, In Adam and Eve's first kids, you know, people don't want to bury their kids before them. They want to go before their kids. In this situation, we see that Cain gave some of his grain, but Abel brought the best and the first fruits of his. And so in in situations like this, I mean, I think about movies. I watch a lot of movies. And in the movies, you mostly have two things that constitute a crime. One is motive and the other is opportunity. And so because Cain... He did not have the offering that was acceptable, and his brother Abel did. That gave him the motive that made his face downcast, and he was angry. So now he's looking for the opportunity, and that comes when he says, all right, let's go out to the field. And it's really interesting how motive and opportunity showed up in the situation where he decided to take the life of his brother Abel. Yeah. The text is very subtle, uh, but as you rightly pointed out, Daryl, Abel brought the firstborn, the best. Cain brought some. 
Mm-hmm. Probably kept the best for himself. I never could figure out how Cain figured out that his offering hadn't been accepted. He wanted the smoke blow back in his face or something. <laughs> I mean, what? how did he figure it out? I don't know. But one way or another, Cain knew that, that Abel was more favored. And the sin is crouching at your door. Oh, right? yes. It's like it's ringing your doorbell. Don't open the door, God. God gives him an out. God says, you are going down a bad path. Stop. And the path he's going down is really the deadly sin, the second of the seven deadly sins, envy. He envies his brother. And when we envy somebody, and we only always envy a near rival, right? Yes. Um, I might dabble at basketball, but I'm, I'm not going to envy Michael Jordan. I'm going to envy the guy next door who plays way better than me. That's the guy I'm going to envy because he's, he's a near rival. A brother is a near rival. And what envy does is you feel diminished by the other person. You feel like you're living in their chill shadow. And envy just wants to end that. Envy wants to get rid of the shadow. Uh, you, you want to get rid of the source of diminishment, the one who's knocking. So what do you do? Well, you, you try to knock the person down a few pegs, you badmouth them, or worse yet, you remove the source of your envy altogether and you kill them, which is exactly what Cain did here. So envy and anger and pride, they're all kind of in the same soup, right? But that's what led to it. That's the real underlying cause here. And murder was the fruit of that other sin. Now, Scott, earlier in this episode, you spoke about these crimes and how juries determine what kinds of crimes they are. There are crimes of passion where you just had a split second moment where you lost it. But then there are those that are premeditated. And the Hebrew word for kill in this verse is harag, which means you smite with deadly intent. Hmm. So he intended to do this. He planned to do this. It wasn't something that kind of snuck up on him and he just lost it. No, he was thinking about this for a while. And so I think Cain's is wrong on many counts, man. The murder that he broke his relationship with his brother when he murdered him, of course. And then the second thing he did wrong was that he usurped this power that he was forbidden to have. And he took matters into his own hands when God could have helped him with this situation. Another thing he did, I mean, of course, you talked about crouching at the door. He failed to heed God's warning there. And he had anger. And God was trying to help him understand what he could do with that anger. And he projected it onto Abel and made it Abel's problem. I think those things really led up to the reason why Cain murdered his brother. Yep. You know, we've referred several times in this series, uh, Daryl, to the kind of classic Reformed Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, in its treatment of the Sixth Commandment. And we're going to talk about this in in, in the next segment of this program, too. But that God doesn't just condemn murder. He he condemns everything that leads to murder. Yes. And in this case, it was envy and the anger that it brought out in Cain. Cain didn't want to feel diminished by his little brother anymore, so get rid of him. What a terrible story to tell four chapters into the Bible. I mean, it's a remarkable story, but that's the honesty of Scripture, I think, Daryl, that it doesn't try to sugarcoat stuff for us. It doesn't try to pretend like bad things never happen. It tells a story like this as a warning. And in the next program on adultery, we're going to read another classic story, which is in the Bible for a warning. And so we're being warned here not just to not pick up a rock and split our brother's skull open with it, but to do all that we can to head that off at the pass, to listen to God and the Holy Spirit when God says, sin's crouching at your door, Scott, don't let it in, don't give in. And it takes real discipline to be able to, and real humility, to be able to listen to God, to head off those things in our heart that are leading us down bad paths. 
And speaking of that, in the next segment, we want to talk about how the New Testament takes this whole murder concept to the next level and how we are to respond. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. Reading a psalm often brings questions. Who's speaking? What's the message? How is the psalm inspired? Those questions invite different answers when we read the psalm with Jesus in mind. Then we hear the psalm lift his voice, tell his story, and convey his message. Join today in September as we listen to psalms in a series of devotions titled Jesus in the Psalms. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. I'm Scott Jose with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork. And Daryl, we're in the final part of uh, this fourth program on the Ten Commandments and the commandment on not murdering. We just read the Cain and Abel story from Genesis 4 as an early, early biblical warning against not just murder, but the things that lead up to it. But now let's turn to the New Testament. Now, in this verse is from 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because of his own actions. Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Man, Scott, I love it when Scripture interprets Scripture. Right. This whole reference to Cain and Abel just takes us right back to that verse in Genesis. It just takes it to another level when he says anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. Really? What? Yeah. Because now I got to think about what's going on in my heart. It's not about the physical act of actually killing somebody that is always the case. I have to do some internal searching now. Exactly. And we've seen this in other programs. We're going to see it in the next program as well. When it came to the law of God, Jesus, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew and particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of ticks through a lot of the Ten Commandments and deepens their meaning. And similar to what John wrote here in his first letter uh, that you just read, Daryl, Jesus says, look, I don't want you slipping a knife between a brother's ribs and literally kill him. But if you just are you if you're so angry, you say, you fool. You know, if you call somebody a dirty name, yes. that's murder. I mean, you've murdered him in your heart. Now, let's admit, murdering somebody in our heart is, of course, not as severe as actually killing somebody. But Jesus is saying in God's sight, God looks at the heart. We know that from the New Testament. Yes. God looks at the heart. And when your heart is full of resentment and vengeance and anger and, and you're sort of the seething cauldron of bad stuff, well, it's good if you never act on it. God doesn't like seeing that in you because you might act on it. But even if you don't, you're not pure on the inside. You're not loving your brother or sister. 
And I think Paul the Apostle picks up on some of these things too, Scott, where, I mean, he doesn't really specifically name murder when he's in his epistles, when he's in Colossians and Ephesians or Galatians or one of those. But he deals with the attitudes and actions that go around it that make conditions that murder could be uh, something that would happen in. And so, I mean, not only does Paul remind us that we have been delivered and we have a new life through Christ's, Christ's redemption for us, which should sound familiar because that's what we've been talking about, how these commandments came to be. God delivered first and then gave the way to live. But then secondly, he, he deals with the things underneath, the things that make murder uh, option for some people, the sinful nature that comes from the old life that we should be doing away with because of Christ and his grace. These are the things that Paul wants to deal with because that conduct is not helpful for the believer. Exactly. And, you know, John, in that passage we just read, he does what most of us tend to do. What's the opposite of love? Hate. True. But I've also been impressed by some writers who, who develop the idea that perhaps as much as hate, the opposite of love, it may be apathy. Mm-hmm. You, you just don't care. You just don't care about another person or, you know, apathy can apply to lots of things. But in this case, it's not so much that you necessarily actively hate somebody, but you don't care enough about them to take care of them either. A while back, you know, when the um, it was in the middle of the COVID pandemic, and of course, one of the big things that made the news was the murder of George Floyd at the hands of, or literally under the knee of Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis police officer who was yeah. eventually sent to prison. But I, I read this analysis in the news where they said, you know, if you look at the picture, look at the still picture or even the video, and look into former officer Chauvin's eyes, and he said that this commentator said what you saw in his eyes was the most terrifying thing of all. He didn't hate George Floyd. He was totally blank. George Floyd wasn't even a human to him. He was just totally apathetic. He didn't care. And that was as chilling, this commentator wrote, as anything else. It was even more chilling than if he had looked hateful. Yeah. But he looked empty. Like, you know, I, I could be kneeling on the sidewalk as, a, as well as a man's neck. What's the big deal? That's the kind of thing that blinds us to the common humanity that we all share in the image of God. Yes. Yeah, so we're when you're able to objectify people and make them less than human, your conscience is not brought into play. But when you love one another, your conscience is definitely brought mm. into play. You're, you're held accountable for that love. And that's why Jesus made it one of the top two commandments when he asked him that question. Martin Luther King in, in March 31st of 1968, I know it's a few days after that, he was assassinated. Yeah. But at the Washington National Cathedral, he said one of his famous lines, and his line was this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. End quote. It's just like darkness. Jesus said this. Darkness can't drive out darkness. Satan can't drive out Satan. Right. You need to have a different alternative. And Christ is the epitome of that. So I think on you know the positive side here, we, we often try to end with a positive take on the Ten Commandments, not just what they're against, but what they're for. And what the Sixth Commandment is for, I think, Daryl, is cherishing all life, cherishing every human being you meet, no matter how different they look from you, no matter what language they speak or where they came from uh, or how they dress, God wants us to cherish each person whom we meet. And that means that we got a lot of internal work to do to root out of our hearts all the things that can lead to the apathy, the hatred, you know, the disdain that can lead to physical murder. But Jesus says, and John says, it leads to spiritual murder. So we need to root out our envy. 
when we envy somebody, we got to work on that because it's not going to lead us anywhere good. Or if we're angry, if we feel aggrieved and we, we want revenge, we've got to find a way to turn that over to God. Let God bring the justice. And our duty is to do our best to let the scales fall from our eyes and see each other as cherished sisters and brothers made in Christ's image. And Christ gives us the example in that. He gave his life. He had a sacrificial example of what it means to love one another. And when we follow his way of living, when we are ready to serve one another, look at other people's lives and benefits as better than ourselves, like it tells us in Philippians, if we see that, then we would know that God has given us a better way to live and that he is in the process of taking care of us. Will it be easy? No, of course not but it will be worth it. Absolutely. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. Join us again next time as we continue our study of the Ten Commandments by looking at the Seventh Commandment and discussing what it means to not commit adultery. Connect with us at our website, groundworkonline.com. Share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear us discuss next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacobs.